Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Hey, it's been a while since we uh, talked about heavy metal. Too long. I feel like we kind of left things hanging there. Oh, you know, everyone likes a good cliffhanger, right? <laughs> Is that what that was? Yeah. Yeah, I was listening back to that episode, um, and there's a part in it where you talk about being old, and I say, you're not even 30 yet. And then I realized that since we recorded that, you like had your 30th birthday, you went on your honeymoon, an entire season of Game, and Th- Game of Thrones came and went. That's true. It's, uh, been, it's been a minute. Yeah, I mean, we... It, we did release it a lot later than we recorded it, so that helps That's a little true. bit for our listeners. It took uh, me a long time to get it all edited. This is true. Uh, but, so it's about, you know, three, three months later. That's okay. It's all right. We're fine. It's, yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, they say, like, good things come to those who wait, right? Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, I, it might be kind of a generous estimation on our part that people were waiting, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, waiting with bated breath. Yes. Yes. Uh and so now part two is just, we're just going to define like 30 more subgenres, right? That's our I plan. I think so. Um, take some more, like, um, a couple more, like, models of thinking of plotting out the genesis and evolution of heavy metal. You know, we kind of went with a historical um, path before. I think now we'll go by talking about um, specific musicological similarities. And then I think we could take a geographic approach. Yeah. And then, like, a sociological approach. Yep. 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 Uh, uh, no, that's not what we're going to do. That's not what we threatened to do at the end of the, of the last heavy metal episode. We t- tonight want to explore. Well, I guess maybe a better way to put it is on the last episode, we talked a lot about what heavy metal is um, in, you know, in the nuts and bolts kind of way. Now I think we need to talk about what is heavy metal about or why is heavy metal <laughs> Why is heavy metal indeed? Yeah, and you know, and that's very. I think it's e- easy to say that's a very personal thing, but I think we can make some comments about how we think it fits in the world and society. Sure. And its value. Yeah. Yeah. In the way that you know, any media has intrinsic value, but specific values, or maybe some not so valuable things. Yeah. So I mean, we talked about a lot about in the last episode, and if. I mean, I don't know who this person is that is just joining us now for this episode. Uh, This is the first episode of this show you've listened to. Maybe go back and listen to What is Heavy Metal Part 1, especially if you are not super well-versed on, you know, heavy metal subgenres and history and, you know, maybe just some kind of key bands and things like that. We do a lot of that setup in episode one, so that'll make, I think, this episode easier to listen to, although I think the content we're going to talk about here is actually probably more broadly interesting than the more uh, tactical, nitty-gritty approach we had on the last episode. Yeah, it was very taxonomical approach, like definitions, and yeah, so this episode's a little more a little more loosey-goosey, a little more... <laughs> a little more uh, you know, how does it feel to you, man? What does it all yeah. mean? I mean, we, 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 we established the shared language and we established the musical components. We've kind of set the boundaries of the conversation last time. You know, what is, you know, what is all, what is contained within the circle of heavy metal to us? And now we can talk about all those things that are within the circle. Like what, what's the point of them? So Greg, what is the point? Oh boy. <laughs> Well, obviously, 
to get the pedantic, obvious explanations out of the way. Obviously, it's a music that people like to listen to and a music that people like to make. So in some way, the conversation starts and ends there. Um, cool. Let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah. See you guys next week. <laughs> when we're going to talk about um, the new version of Evangelion that's on Netflix now. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think that's the obvious thing. People like what they like. I don't think our mission here is to justify heavy metal's existence or to defend heavy metal from its criticism. Um, I'm more interested in understanding why heavy metal is the way it is in certain ways. Um, so anyway, so I keep dodging the question, what is heavy <laughs> metal about? And I don't think you can look to lyrics to answer that question because like we talked about in the last episode, heavy metal is a very broad thing in terms of its lyrical content. So if you just look at the lyrics, you say, well, heavy metal is about medieval battles, murder, Satan, and, um, dragons, dragons, and the icy fjords of Norway. (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you can literally find lyrics by everything, which uh, that might be something that's a little more unique to the genre. Didn't talk about last time. I think that that's something that, you know, there's a much more, I think, narrow exploration of topics, which are oftentimes expressed through lyrics in other genres, it seems. Mm-hmm. I say that, you know, rap and hip hop have a wide variety as well. But I think that when you're talking about something like country or pop, you there's certainly depth there. I'm not saying it's just all shallow or or just like it's all dancey, dancey, whatever, or I love my tractor. But I just feel like the breadth of topics is not as... And I can't think of a lot of pop bands that are, like, singing about Charlemagne. Sure. You know, <laughs> or... Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Because I would say that every genre kind of has its lane of, like, what is not acceptable, but what is expected in terms of l- lyrical content. And country tends to sing about um, day-to-day life, day-to-day rural American life. And um, it sings about kind of domestic heterosexual relationships um and usually from a very kind of innocent old-timey perspective almost kind of sexless um but certain things are off limits in 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 country you know it seems about those things but it won't touch a lot of things that metal will touch on you know it's not gonna sing about dragons (laughs) um but while metal might have a broad range of topics that the lyrics might be about I would say that there is a huge thing that metal does not have any breadth on, and that is emotional content. Like, there are very few heavy metal songs that are about relationships as a subject, but there are also very few heavy metal songs that are about love as an as an experienced emotion. Do you know what I mean? Like, what love feels like. You might have a heavy metal song that's about love, but it's more of a maybe a story about doomed lovers or that sort of thing. Um, Like there are certain topic areas that um, any genre won't touch. But to me, the thing I noticed as I really started thinking about metal lyrics is there are certain emotions it will not touch. Hmm. That's true. Uh, I would say that, yeah, and I think that speaks to, at least in my experience, like the kind of people who enjoy heavy metal, 
in, fit into one or two, when it comes to sort of their approach to lyrics fit in one or two categories is that the first category is that they don't really care about lyrics at all, which is someone like myself or some friends I can think of who, yeah, I can catch a good gag here or there in, in like a more straightforward, like in a power metal band or something, or follow a very straightforward story. But I don't really care that much. Like, I'm not heavily invested in the mythical fantasy world that Rhapsody created, eagerly waiting the next, you know, chapter to come out like I do a, a fantasy novel or something. Uh, there's probably other reasons for that. but mm-hmm. um, Or secondarily is that you can sort of compartmentalize, which I put, I put you more into that category where you probably listen to a lot of folk and and pop and progressive rock that you really enjoy the lyrics and they mean a lot to you uh in the way that sort of maybe poetry would mean something to someone but then you can also sort of compartmentalize and listen to cannibal corpse or something right and like not care well i don't know i mean i i i personally invest a lot in lyrics okay um and there are some bands that i can't get past the lyrics either because it's content that i find objectionable or otherwise difficult to listen to, or because it to me is so cringy that I'm almost even even when I'm listening to it in headphones, I feel embarrassed for listening to it. <laughs> um, but I think that generally, like if you're talking about non-metal music, like if I'm going to listen to singer-songwriter stuff, if I'm going to listen to to punk, the lyrics better be damn good. Um, to hold my interest. Because like we talked about on the last one, you know, like one of the things that I'm drawn to with metal is that there's so much uh, to listen to in the instrumentation that it keeps me interested. It keeps me excited. Whereas if you're just going to be strumming four chords and singing a song, those lyrics better be damn good for me not to get bored by the four chords. Um, Which is why I can, you know, I can really enjoy a band like the Hold Steady, but the bands that the Hold Steady tours with, I'm often like, snore. Gotcha. I guess I can put it a different way, is that uh, for me, and I think many metalheads, maybe yourself is not included, um, metal is, at least the way that I consume 90% of metal and most of that is, or music and most of that is metal, is it's purely a sonic experience. I'm not, the, the words are just washing over me. Even if it's not unintelligible, it's not harsh vocals, most of the time, and I might catch a chorus or, or, you know, something that fits well and sing along to, but I'm not thinking about it. Maybe that's weird, man. It's just a unique thing to me. But I get the feeling that a lot of people aren't, you know, standing along with at a concert, uh, aren't really analyzing, just really getting into like, you know, between the Bear Beast song, like, what does it mean? It's just like, I don't know what fuck it means. Like, it just sounds cool. Uh, but so I guess, cause that's, so when the point I'm trying to make is that for me, metal is about how it makes me feel, not so much what it makes me think. Sure. Which is, but you have to admit that the lyrics are going to play a part in that, right? Whether or not you're actively listening to them and, you know, picking them apart word for word, they're part of the total package, assuming you're listening to something with intelligible lyrics, which is the caveat you have to use when you're talking about heavy metal. But, you know, that that's that's sinking in somewhere, right? And, and some of the triumphant feeling you're going to get listening to power metal are the triumphant lyrics about glory and destiny, right? Even if you're not really committing them to memory, you're only kind of hearing them halfway. They're apart. Probably. But... Uh, yeah. I guess I would say, like, you, you start breaking down the percentages of bands that I can... A, they're speaking in a language I understand. B, they're speaking <laughs> intelligibly. And C, it's, you know, actually sick again. You start to get a probably very small percentage. But yeah, you're, you're not wrong. 
So, and I don't think you're alone in that, that most metal fans are not lyrics listeners, which is fine. It's not a value judgment, but I think you're you're not wrong in assuming that that is something that brings them together. And the question is, why not? What is it about metal that is a where we're, we're all just going to say we're all just going to make a big agreement like there's a vocalist up there, but we're all making an agreement. None of us are going to listen to what he says. And he's good. He's agreeing. He's not going to say anything important. This is what we want. What's going on there? Yeah, uh, that is weird. I would say that that's not typical of other genres of music, at least that I'm familiar with. Right. It's almost like a big agreement of like, none of us are going to make eye contact. Are we all clear? <laughs> right. Let's not make let's not make this weird. Right. Like, that's kind of a strange thing, right? It's very strange. Um, I think that part of it is that in other genres of music, as we've talked about last episode, the vocals are are at the front, both in the way you're writing the music, but also probably the way you're producing the music and that they're the focus of what you're doing. Right. Like we're here to see. Even if it's not like singer songwriter stuff, it's like bands, but still like the vocals and the singer are sort of where your attention are. It's what your brain is focusing on. A lot of the instruments and instrumentation are in service of making a whole cohesive sound, mm-hmm. but not at the expense of focusing on the vocals. Where I think in a lot of metal bands, um, the ones that at least have vocalists, frequently it's sort of everyone's on par with one another or, yep. you know, more or less. Yep. Yep. And we defined that as one of kind of the key defining features of the genre was right. the guitar and vocal, especially, but, you know, theoretically all the instruments are given equal importance, but still, why are we all agreeing that the lyrics are bullshit and they don't matter? Why do we all go into metal shows with that agreement? Well, I'm sure someone could say, uh, you know, there's there's a lack of depth, a lack of thought, a lack of uh, intelligence that goes into crafting this stuff. Um, that's probably what a critic of the genre might say, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of dumb idiots throwing themselves against each other yep. Yep. and playing guitars real fast and yelling into microphones. Yep. Um, which, you know, there's probably some merit to a little bit of that, but... Some bands, some genres are kind of feel that way sometimes, some subgenres, right? When you go to like well, a, a Death Slam show, you're like, mm, I'm not sure what we're doing here. <laughs> and I, I, I do want to talk a little bit later about the kind of the meathead caveman element of this. I think that the critics who see that are not wrong in, in, in noticing the caveman element, but I think that they are seeing a smaller part of the picture, but I don't want to get too far ahead of us. But you know that the caveman explanation doesn't cover the whole thing, right? You're an intelligent person, um, and there are intelligent people in the bands making music for you. Mm-hmm. And all the people I know personally that like metal and enjoy it or make it are all pretty intelligent and thoughtful and, uh, you know, engage with it in a way that's not just like, let's get in the pit and fuck some people up, man. Like, that's not what they're here to do. <laughs> I played a lot of shows with those guys. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, no, it's not a value judgment. It's part of this. It is part of this. Um, and like, don't get me wrong. I, I like to be in, in the pit, but my, my enjoyment of that kind of thing, the live experience, which I think we should incorporate here. Cause I mm-hmm. think that the live experience is a crux of metal and why, I think it has a lot about 
plays a lot into how different genres develop, subgenres, and this sort of a historical development of what what we do at shows and how bands tour. Part of that's just economics, but you know, very few. The, the fact that the, the the environment in which we see most of our favorite bands as metalheads is smaller, generally speaking, than a lot of other people see their favorite bands in, um, depending on what you're into, uh, I think plays a role. Yeah, that might be right. I, I feel like if you are into pop, you don't go to see like underground pop artists at clubs, right? Yeah. Like if Katy Perry is your favorite singer, maybe once a year you'll go see her on a stadium tour, but then it's not like every Friday night you're down at the local you know, seeing some, um, but I think that's also part of the nature of just metal being a subgenre of rock, um, that there is a bar touring circuit and that's a part of kind of the career ladder that's just kind of built out of the, you know, 1960s and 1970s rock and roll industry. So, you know, is it fair to say that, oh, pop artists don't do that? I mean, I don't know if it's a fair comparison, but, um... Yeah, the live element is, is 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 an important part of I think the heavy metal experience, and I think you can definitely see that when, like when Dragon Force kind of first broke into the mainstream, there were all these criticisms like, oh, they're a Pro Tools band, and all, all of that stuff is just cut together, you know, in 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 Pro Tools, which is kind of the standard, you know, um, live or not live studio recording editing software. You know, this thing's just Frankenstein together. They can't play that live. Um, and you hear that criticism a lot of metal bands. And, you know, they all there are these videos where a famous band will be exposed on YouTube for, um, you know, like, oh, they're 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 just miming their guitar solos. They're not actually playing. Um, right. It's you know, there's a certain level of like people, metal fans value authenticity and realness. I so, think it, it, in the music, the musicality, at least in the kind of criticism you have, it's not really any different than when, you know, a pop singer is exposed to be lip syncing, although they lip sync a lot. But see, I think that that even at this point in, in, you know, popular music appreciation, people don't care. Yeah. That is that, that thing of lip syncing being something you don't do that, um, I think that disappeared in like the mid two thousands. I get that vibe. I mean, it's one thing that I, I struggle sometimes is I, I don't know all the technicalities of how metal is produced and metal is played live. You know, I, you know a lot more than I do just because being in a band and making music. But I, you know, I remember thinking, you know, the, one of the big things as someone who's really into the drum playing was like, Oh, like are your, are your bass drum kick pedals, are they triggered? Right. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it, it's not, you're not actually playing it. It's just sending a coat, you know, a, a message to a computer that then plays the thing for you. And that's not the same. And yeah. So the, so triggering on drums and it's not just kicks, it can be any of the drums where, um, essentially, yes, by when you hit the drum, it sends an electronic signal that plays a sample over the PA. And the idea there is that it gives you a much more consistent sound, um, because you're not going to have the variations of like, for instance, with the, with the kick drum, you know, the, the little variations in like, uh, how hard you hit it, you know, is not going to be audible to the, um, to the audience. So it doesn't correct your timing, but it does make the sound more consistent in terms of, uh, volume and, and intensity. Um, and yeah, that was a thing. I mean, I know when I was, you know, when I was playing out and playing shows, like that was a thing of like, oh, they use triggers and you'd look down your nose at them. Right. 
Where now I think it's pretty well respected. A lot of bands use triggers just because of there's a lot of reasons to use them in a live setting. Yeah. Or, you know, the drummer playing along to a click track in headphones, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, so you've mapped out a metronome for the entire song and the drummer listens to that. So they don't have to actually kind of keep the tempo naturally. You know, there was a time when it was like, oh, no, playing along to a kick, a click, like you might as well be Milli Vanilli. But now it's, you know, it's it's much more accepted. There's a lot of things that are changing, but that kind of performance authenticity is still very much a big deal in metal. Yeah, where absolutely. Where I think in other genres, it totally is not. Yeah. I think like, you know, you said like the Overton window kind of moves, you know, for things become acceptable different times or at least talked about more. And, you know, certain kinds, I think people get willing to give a little bit of leeway for certain kinds of bands that are more technically focused and more you know because people started realizing like oh this sounds a lot better if they do it this way yeah um i think about a concert experience where i i saw as a kind of a a technical death metal band called fallujah Mm -hmm. um and i saw them live and it sounded just like the record and i was just blown away because there's so many so many you know samples and layers and levels to the sound a lot of atmospheric stuff kind of going synthy kind of stuff going in the background and i could just hear everything and i was just like really excited about that another band that does a really good job of that is, is between the bear to me I mean, yeah. they they really get their levels right because nothing's worse than going to a live show and something being way off and not being able to hear stuff or the mix isn't quite right it's really makes you feel bad right well the technology has really improved um where now and and in the past it was much harder to do something like this but like bt bam and i assume this is the way they do it um but the drummer has a laptop next to him and that laptop has the entire show programmed. It's got a click track for him to listen to and presumably the other members of the band. But then the, oh, the light show is, is synchronized to that laptop and even the, like the effects on the instruments are all queued up to that, you know, to that it can all be switched remotely. It can all be programmed. So then the members of the band, they just have to play. And everything else is just happening automatically, and it's perfectly synced um, every show, every time, every venue. And that stuff, that technology has gotten a lot more accessible because now you can run it on a laptop, whereas if you wanted to do something like that in the 90s, you would need all kinds of specialized equipment and, um, you know, specially trained people to run it all. But anyway... That's kind of a digression. I think the question is, what is it about heavy metal where that live performance, that authenticity of performance is still so important? Whereas in other genres, people just don't care anymore. Yeah, I think there's been a, there's definitely like a pendulum, right? Where kind of it swings between raw and authentic and natural and then more produced and more, you know, uh, I guess inauthentic. But and that kind of swing has swung back and forth throughout time. You can kind of see that with bands, the way they change and the way their live shows look. And then I think I think at some point the pendulum just kind of like just exploded in one different directions because some bands are really committed to that. Like, well, we're only going to put microphones up to our amps and you know only put my you know and like into the drums and that's all it's going to be that's real live authentic as opposed to plugging everything through you know computers and whatnot and there's still a division there but um well and i think it, it varies probably a little bit by genre and by artist and what the expectations are but let's as a thought experiment we both love devin townsend mm-hmm. and devin townsend you know a lot of times for his shows there is a lot of the show that is running on we still use the term loop but because back in the tape days but essentially like 
the synthesizers and the background vocals and all that stuff is essentially a tape that is playing out to the audience. And then the vocals and the guitars and the drums and the bass are performed live, but they're performed on top of this tape loop of everything else. Right. And nobody who goes to a Devin Townsend show is going to be like, ah, he's playing to a loop. What a fucking sellout. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if you found out that he was lip syncing, that would probably change things for you, wouldn't it? It it definitely would. Why? It's a good question. Um, And and I don't really know, you know, and and opinions change on this different points. Like, it just feels like it feels like the distance between like you're going to a live band to if you wanted to sound exactly like the record, then you might as well just listen to it. That's 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 my opinion. And you're going there because you're wanting to get closer to them, right? Not just physically, but like you want to be part of the show, part of the experience. And I think in some ways, when you strip away authentic performances, for lack of a better term, real performances in vocals or instrumentation, then it sort of feels like you're putting more distance between you, the audience, the members of yourself in the audience and the musicians, which is that fair? Probably not. But that's the feeling that the initial reaction I have to that hypothetical. So it, it, it okay. What are you better about you? Would it? No, it would absolutely. I, I, it would change things for me. Now, my question of why? Um, yeah, because then it just feels like, well, what am I doing? What am I paying for here? If, uh, if there's no, like you say, like I don't feel like I'm a part of it. So, and you and I, let's say we're a representative sample of metal audiences in <laughs> absurd conjecture but let's say that's true we both feel like we want to be a part of it and we want to feel some connection to the performer right mm-hmm. and part of that is their performance of the music that is some element of it um that they have to be performing some level of it live and in person um and it has to also live up to our expectations of it technically. Like again, Devin Townsend, he's doing the vocals live, but you realize that he can't hit any of those high notes live. You'd feel like, oh, something changed, right? right. Um, and what is it about heavy metal where we seem to have a higher standard, not only for how much of the performance has to be live, but also how much of the performance has to be as technically good as it is on the record? Like, you better be able to play it, play that solo as fast. When I see you, you know, when I go see BT Bam, you know, Paul better hit those sweeps in the Selkie solo. I'm going to be <laughs> upset. Yeah. Uh, I see The first thing is that we talked about last episode where the, the, the focus on the instruments and the focus on virtuosity is, I think, always something that is is a part of metal and therefore I think puts a higher emphasis on being able to see those things and recreate those things because part of what you're strong you do a band is that you know it's not just that for a lot of people it's not just that Devin Townsend is a great songwriter it's that he is a great vocalist and he is a great guitar player it's all those things put together that make him so important you know impressive whatever I think the other side of it is there is a I think a especially for people who are, you know, outside of meatheads, but like there's a level of definitely like superiority ism. That's not a word. Um, you know, the feeling of superiority of like, Oh, you know, metal music, the music I like is better because they're actually talented. They can actually play there. And so they actually sing. And I think that's something that a lot of, you know, and that I think that attitude has changed a little bit and is 
you know, as people get older, they probably mature out of that. But I think in a very, you know, when you're really in, when you're really, really at your peak and getting into it, that feeling, I know I felt that feeling a lot like, oh, I'm listening to real music. And if it's not real anymore, then it's no longer real music, right? If it's just like, if they only can make it in a lab and a lab <laughs> on a computer, you know, no, then like, a, that's a great way to put it. Like it yeah. can only be this, it's like certain elements on the periodic table. It's only ever existed for 10 seconds in a laboratory. Right. So, and and part of that's changed because for me, because like I, I started getting into electronic music and appreciating and also understanding that all these, you know, all the samples and the synth and the orchestration, that's all done on computers and that's, that's okay. Um, but there is, you still want that authenticity of, of at least some of it. Yeah. Um, and I look at these acts of virtuosity, um, and there's something about it that I keep kind of circling around in my head because these, every act that we want to see, right there, there's some, because it's not just virtuosity. I mean, in the, in the traditional sense, like it's not just, I want to see them hit the high notes because it might be a death metal show. And I want to see and hear the vocalist hit those super deep, gurgly, how is he making that sound kind of things, right? Or I want to go to a black metal show and I want to see that drummer do that blast beat for, you know, a minute and a half. And I want to see that act in person. Right. It's almost um, like a curiosity or like, a, you know, it's something you're not familiar with, right? They're just like, that can't be real. Oh, it is real. And that's what makes it impressive. And, and it's something they do with their body. Yeah. And that's the part that I keep coming to and like, trying to get my head around is that like is it a freak show kind of thing that we want to go and we want to see this performance or is it more like a it's 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 almost pornographic because it's like i want to go see someone perform a very particular physical act on you know on my command basically (laughs) do the thing do that thing that amazing physical feat that I know I can't do, but do that. I want to experience it. I want to know that it is real. And I want to know that you are doing it here now for me. It's weird when I start to unpack it that way. Like, you know, because there's in some ways it's kind of a little kind of pornographic and exploitative. But also when I think about other forms like death metal and black metal, like when I'm asking a performer to make that noise... Like, they're destroying their vocal cords. Like, what you are hearing when those guys do that thing is the slow degradation of their body. <laughs> it's true. Like, you, like, to be a successful extreme metal vocalist, like, you need to go get lessons to learn how not to destroy yourself yeah. while you're doing this. But especially those, like, we are, when we know that they are essentially giving of their body for this performance for us. That's yeah. weird. It is weird. And... I mean, I think that you can see, you know, there's, and I think you said it is a sort of closeness to it, wanting to be a part of that pornography, which is getting, I'm going to, this is, this metaphor yeah, is getting, getting weird. Yeah, we're getting there, man. We're going. But, uh, like, it's the same thing as if you're, I mean, you're watching, like, example, you look at a picture of a naked person on the internet, which you've never done before in your they life. They put pictures up? I what know, is this, right? 1988? Yeah. Um, or a video, perhaps, which, I mean, I guess you could find somewhere. I would have no idea. <laughs> Uh, versus if you came across, if you stumbled across someone in the park, two people in the park doing the dirty, that is the same thing, but not very as enjoyable. different. 
not as enjoyable, but also very different, right? It's sure. more taboo. It's more visceral. It's, oh my God, that's happening. Where nowadays we're so desensitized to stuff you see on the computer. It's like, ah, oh, whatever. But to see it in real life is is very different. I think that's what's happening here, right? It's just, it's different when you're experiencing it with all your senses and in a sort of visceral way. And that's one thing that metal most certainly is, is visceral most of the time. Um, and I think it comes down to how it makes you feel, right? Like um, the, and that's what my, my thing is, my thesis is that metal is about capital F feelings in a way that many genres can be for many people, but maybe not to the same degree or the same depth or breadth that is the goal of other things, right? Like I'm sure that there's, people who get very emotional seeing artists like that's how a lot of people feel but something about the way metal uses sound as opposed to lyrics or this isn't this is generality but as opposed to lyrics or even sort of the like when i think about the sort of deification of like pop stars and how crazy people, you know, the people screaming at the Beatles, these kind of things. Like, metal's got that to some degree, but not in the same way because, well, I mean, most metal dudes aren't squealing like little girls when their favorite bands come on stage. But something about it, something just feels a little different to me. And I'm not sure, I'm still crystallizing it, but. So, I, if, and I, I, think I, I think I know what you're getting at. So, the idea being that a pop artist, and I'm using that term very broadly, I don't mean that as a value judgment of like, oh, shallow ass pop. You know, I'm including, you know, um, I'm including any kind of general within the general scope of pop, like vocal focused, um, simple instrumentation, you know, like the last the last show I saw, I think, was Nick Cave. And I would put Nick Cave as a, you know, as a pop singer, David Bowie, pop singer, Prince, pop singer. Um, yeah, they're in the same genre as your Taylor Swift or your Carly Rae Jepsen. But um you know, like if you were going to quantitatively tell me what the difference between them, between the between them musically, it's like, oh, well, you can't. But like they can generate capital F feelings, but it's done more with the lyrical content and the vocal performance um, because you're so zoomed in on just that lead vocal. Um, you are listening to the emotion that they put into the voice and the journey that they take you on just with that vocal performance. Right. Like, is their voice cracking because they're getting emotional? Um, is it quivering because they're excited? You know, like those elements that they use to evoke more of the feeling. And it relies less on the instrumentation, whereas in metal, because, again, we've all agreed that um, <laughs> the lyrics are made up and the points don't matter, <laughs> um, uh, that it has to come in a more abstract way through the instrumentation and the more kind of squinty, you know, lean back, don't look too hard at the vo at vocal performance or the vocal um, or the lyrical content. Um, it just has to get to those feelings in a different way than other genres. And I think there's like a, a it's very different feelings that those a pop band is trying to elicit versus what metal bands are typically trying to elicit. There's certainly a Venn diagram there, but I feel like, you know, I think the overlap is pretty small, actually. Yeah. And because of that, I think that you have to that's why you have to use the instruments to do that, because that's the only way to elicit those feelings. You can't rely solely on a, you know, singer songwriter, you know, vocal performance to get to some of these so feelings. Me, yeah. And I think I know what the feeling the feelings that metal is trying to evoke are. 
And I'm going to read you a quote. Um, it's not a quote. It's a passage um, from the author Robert E. Howard, um, who, you know, Conan. Um, this is a this is a line from Queen of the Black Coast. Queen of the Black Coast. And I'll do my best to um, imbue this with as much uh, theatricality as possible. Um, I took two, two stage acting courses in college. Whoa. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me live deep while I live. Let me lo- know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine on my palate, the hot embrace of white arms, the mad exultation of battle when the blue blades flame and crimson, and I am content. Let teachers and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is illusion, then I am no less an illusion, and being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live, I burn with life, I love, I slay, and am content. That is the feeling of heavy metal. That is the feeling that heavy metal wants to elicit. It is a it is a primal um, exaltation of just these kind of caveman um, desires for, you know, kind of triumph and glory and the intensity of experience and of life and to eat and to exp- and to experience and all of those things i feel like that is the those are the feelings that metal tries to tap into yeah it, it's using a diversity of sound to like tickle our monkey brains <laughs> right like it, it's trying to reach in there find something you know primitive or primordial and bring it out a little bit in sort of a safe way and safe space yeah, and that's why I say when we mentioned earlier that like there is something caveman about metal, and I do not want at all to say that that is a bad thing, that these are somehow bad emotions for this music to try and um, elicit and explore. Like I don't think that in any art that there is a certain a certain class of thing that is oh no 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 we don't do that because that's for the dumbos. Like I think that. It's all valid. Um, and by saying that it is something primal and caveman and lizard brain about it, like that is not at all a value judgment. Um, and in fact, I think that the fact that generally our culture does not explore those feelings in any real meaningful way is a negative thing because then we end up expressing them in, oh, shall we call them mass murdery type ways, maybe? Um, because we don't know how to understand them. But maybe I'm digressing. No, that makes sense to me. I think that, uh, yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what does that lead us to like next? So we sort of have this this primordial primitive feeling. It's sort of it's a little caveman-y, which is not bad, Uh, not always good either. But it is something that is definitely very different than a lot of other styles of music. Now, I'd be curious if you'd ever like you dive into like more world folk music right like when you think about um like uh just any kind of like you know we think of like more uh, a sort of folk music that's that's non-traditional for us as western um, you know white americans right like when you look at music from africa or from asia uh and sort of that it's very it's not it's music and it's very rhythmic very uh, it makes a lot of different no- like there's a lot of different instruments, things we're not used to, and it lists, elicits very different feelings. I think metal sort of draws upon that too. I mean, I know that there is 
some would argue there's like a significant, the rhythmic nature of metal comes from, you know, sort of like through the crazy pathways talked a little bit last time of like, you know, the African-American influence on rock and roll and jazz. I mean, I could be a stretch, but the rhythmic elements, I mean, I think that, and I hate this term, but like tribal rhythms, but that, I mean, for lack, I mean, that is, you know, generally when we're talking about like, uh, you know, musical elements, you know, a band like Neurosis will use a lot of that type of, of rhythm, um, and, and drumming, um, cause it's not just, it's not just rhythmic patterns, but it's also, you know, the instruments, you know, they're, they're, you know, times in neurosis shows where everybody is, is playing a different, you know, playing different drums and, you know, it's, it's creating this almost trance like effect. Um, but I think that's relatively few and far between. Um, um, I think it was Chuck Klosterman, I think in Fargo rock city, although I, I mean, it's been 20 years since I read that, so I'm not sure I fully remember it. Um, but he talks about going to a Slayer show and he talks about how <laughs> when everything's at 240 beats per minute, your life becomes very linear. Um, and there's something about the, there's something about when, you know, you're, you are wrapped up in all the intensity of heavy metal, whether it's fast or slow or loud or whatever, um, that superficial things kind of wash away and you enter this almost very primal, very simple, very linear state. Um, and I think that uh, that's kind of what heavy metal wants you to do and it wants you to let go of higher brain function, <laughs> if, for lack of a better word. Like, there's a reason why heavy metal dancing is just men just throwing themselves into each other with no rhyme or reason, you know? Men and women, come on. It's men. <laughs> it's mostly men. But now, I mean, yeah, I think that actually here's a good, here's what I want to sound up. I think metal is, its goal is to put up a wall between the in people and the out people, people participating and the non-participants that both protects the people inside and the people outside. And then within that wall, you let loose the kind of crazy feelings, whether it's aggression, whether it's getting really amped up about dragons <laughs> whether it's, you know, misanthropy, whether it's, you know, depression, right? All these things that different metal genres can tackle. You're sort of making, it's so funny because a lot of the heads would hate these things, but, you know, it's making a safe space and putting some distance between yourself and the outside world, uh, which is weird because like it, metal can be, I think all about like, you know, sort of that, is it talking about, is it inward looking? Is it outward looking? Is metal political? Some, some metal is very political, but most of it's not. Uh, mm, well, mm, I know all artists political. Let's put, a, let's put let's put a pin in that. I know, but do you get what I'm saying that like it's very, it's not. It's, it is, its it primary is. goal is not to commentate on correct current politics. I'll it put it that not, way. It does not have as much of an agenda, correct, as a whole as say punk does, right? Um, it is or hip hop often does, right? I would I would argue that metal actually has there's a lot of politics that maybe should be examined with metal, sure. but we'll um, we maybe should unpack some things there. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I like that idea of creating a safe place to explore some emotions that our culture generally does not give a lot of other places to explore. I mean, you know, a a lot of pop songs are about romantic love. Our culture does not need safe spaces to explore the ideas of romantic love. It's in every novel. It's in every movie. It's in every pop song. It's on every TV show, right? Like there's no need 
you know, so pop music isn't creating safe places to explore certain emotions, whereas metal is. Um, and I like that idea. And those emotions generally are either things that are generally considered taboo um, because they are, you know, darker, negative, antisocial things like songs about murder um, uh, or otherwise culturally taboo um you know, satanic heavy metal was much bigger and more serious when in the 80s and 90s, when America was genuinely concerned about Satanists in their midst. Um, whereas now when Ghost gets up there and, you know, you've got a whole theater singing along Hail Satan, you're like, that's cute, but it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Right. Um, uh, well, that was a cool moment when we did that. But, you know, or, or and I think, you know, look at the other side of it, the less aggressive side, the more like nerdy side, right? Like a safe space to uh, really get some, you know, you have a lot of hero worship there, right? I think that's the virtuosity, virtuosity yeah. playing, you know, really getting into just like the nitty gritty of, of the music itself or the, the, the really deep nerd stuff. Just like, man, you know, the feeling that a fantasy book elicits in you that now is cool to talk about, but wasn't five or 10 or 20 years yeah. ago. Well, it's okay here. We're going to talk about wizards and dragons fighting and you're going to maybe have fake epic sword fights in the middle of the pit. That's okay. And, and let's be clear that just because game of Thrones was a big deal, like the, that, and then I love song of ice and fire. I love half of game of Thrones, but like <laughs> that is the most timid of a dipping of a toe into high fantasy. Like the world is not ready because of, Game of Thrones does not mean the world is ready for glory hammer. Like this is a very different world. And there are still a lot of people who don't have a lot of places to go and celebrate those ideas and that imagery um, and those themes um, with other people, with like-minded people. There's right. not a lot of opportunities to go and for all of us to, for an hour, um, we don't have to pretend that laser swords aren't cool. <laughs> but like we do the rest of our lives. And we can, and you know, we can go and we don't have to be cynical about ideas like glory and triumph and, uh, you know, um, the divine right of kings. Right. You know, like we can be unironic about that. And I think that a lot of people want that and need that. Yeah, and there's definitely a level of that that you get some regressive things. I mean, yep. There's when I think about a band like Manowar, Wolf, like right. just yikes all all around. Like we said in the last episode, um, a lot of heavy metal is deeply problematic. <laughs> um, yes, there is still a lot of uh, some some. I would say it's probably not as. Um, like outright homophobia as it used to be. No, but there is still a metal is intensely heteronormative. We can yeah. at least say that it's not as homophobic as it was, but it is def definitely heteronormative. And, and I would say that's, that's, it's interesting. Cause I would say that most of the like more popular outward focus, you know, like mainstream bands, you know, sort of final, like, you know, it's all about society's following a similar trajectory. Metal is a particularly weird one. But what you, if you look at a genre like hip hop, right? Like there is a lot of hip hop that is deeply problematic. Yes. Right. Like, and there's also a lot of hip hop that is not, it's the opposite of, right. Some of the most progressive stuff you can find. Yep. Um, but when you think about some people who are popular, you know, 
like when I think about like a, uh, we have a classic tradition of, you know, listening to like uh, DMX in the car when we're driving out to my visit my friend in Pittsburgh. I don't know why it just happened once and became a thing we do. But it's like you listen to those lyrics and it's like, good God, man. Like not just like not just like macho masculine dominant like homophobic, but like just straight up homophobic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that is something that has it's sort of like, you know, society shifting and in some ways metal is sometimes pushing early in the areas that need pushing, right? Like when you look about the religion and these sort of things, the reaction against um, Christianity, evangelicalism and, and, or sort of some of the earlier thrash bands are very political and talk about war and these sort of things. Um, At the same time, there's an element that is holding it back, right? That you're looking backwards and that could be part of, you're trying to, I think, oh, here's a curious. So within that safe space, you're trying to pull out the positives of some of those primordial primitive emotions. And when you pull it out of the bag, it comes with a bunch of gross stuff and you're sort of trying to spend some time picking it out. That's not someone's explicit goal and they go in there. That's sort of what happens, right? Well, I think about a band like um, Sabaton. They're mm-hmm. a uh, power metal band who sings expli- like only about military history. And it's very triumphant and very, in a lot of ways, reactionary because it's it's very, you know, it's the a triumph pre- of war. Yeah, it's a pre-World War One view of conflict. Right. And at the same time, they have songs that if you're listening and you're feeling like it's about the horrors of war, um, but there's also songs that aren't. And you sort of are sort of trying to pull out that feeling of triumph that elicited those sort of emotions when I was studying military history when I was in school. Uh, now, whether they succeeded, succeed or failed at that, I don't know. But is there something still in there that's interesting that within a safe space is worth exploring and, uh, you know, celebrating? I don't know. (coughs) Yeah. And I'm not sure how much of it we can pin on the problematic elements. I'm not sure how much we can pin on pin it on. Oh, well, when you're the themes of the music and the lyrics are this, it's going to bring some stuff with it as opposed to um, just a slowly, a slow cultural change, um, you know, and, and how much of, you know, because a lot of like death metal that, you know, talks about, you know, torture and murder and those things like it's weird. I mean, I don't have numbers on this, but most of the victims in those songs are women. OK, that's weird. Uh, so, you know, where does that come from? Is that something that is just... Oh, it's just a thing that we've never really thought about because we're all just carrying forward the various tropes that, you know, you know, we've, Cannibal Corpse inherited it from Carcass and so and so inherited it from Cannibal Corpse and nobody ever really thought about it. And, you know, or is it that like, oh, no, there's something else going on here? Um, because I think that, you know, black metal has shown that the ethno-nationalist elements of black metal are not and never were baked into the genre. Like that was just one or two nutcases in the early days, the early days, but there's nothing inherently, you know, there's nothing inherent in black metal that makes it, you know, either appealing to ethno-nationalists or somehow dedicated to it. Um, but I think the problematic elements, you know, I think that heavy metal appeals to musicians who have a sense of tradition um, because heavy metal is a very traditional genre. You know, we're still working with, you know, kind of the templates set down by Black Sabbath and Motorhead. You know, you can trace almost any style of of metal to those two bands. And um, 
well in venom i guess but um uh you know and then and metal fans are generally the least open to you know mixing in some new stuff into the genres you know like so and i think that there's a kind of person that you know maybe maybe metal tends to attract people who are a little less comfortable with change um maybe i'm you know, maybe I'm, I'm taking this too far, but, um, so metal in terms of its ideas and its points of view might evolve more slowly than another genre, just based on the kinds of people who are, are attracted to it. Yeah. And it's weird because it really, it's, it's weird how certain things, like I said before, like certain things are so are pushing the boundaries of what is taboo and forward thinking or Aggressive or new or exciting or edgy, right? Like, and those are all different things. You know, when I think about how I think about it a lot when I go on like, you know, metal blogs or metal websites and I look in the comments, which, you know, what do we never do? Read the comments, but sometimes yeah. I read the comments. And it's crazy that it seems like the same people are, you know, they're, they're super, you know, progressive is probably too kind of a word, but like edgy or going against the grain in some areas. You know, they're not afraid to to trash religion and bust about that. But then their their politics besides that seem a little bit regressive. Sure. Right. And, and that that sort of duality there has always really been interesting to me. Yeah. And I think that's it's interesting because in, in a lot of ways it is music for misfits, but only certain kinds of misfits like and I do think it's changing. And I think that Rob Halford coming out of the closet in the late 90s was a big deal yeah um but yeah metal likes to explore taboo topics but only certain taboo topics right like you know heavy metal is all about like oh we're gonna you know we're just gonna drag all the idols of religion through the mud and we're like yeah but if there was a metal band that was like we're gonna drag all of the um you know, all of the uh, shibboleths of male heterosexuality through the mud, metal fans would be like, pass. <laughs> yeah, right? it's definitely true. Like there is metal wants to make you like uncomfortable with like images of like murder and brutality, but it's not going to ask you to think about like, what would it be like to have sex with a man? Like they're like, what would it be like to marry a woman? Or to murder a woman. And we're like, yes, here's a career in music. But if, <laughs> but if the question was like, what it would be like to kiss a dude, they're like, we've got Torch and they're fine, I guess. We're good. Like, yeah. Um, um, no, you're right. And I think that that's, like I said, I do think that is changing. You know, metal is definitely becoming a more diverse place. It has sure. always continued to be diverse sonically, but I think in sort of lyrical content and the sort of approach to politics in the greater world, as well as diverse as far as just like, the types of people who are part of who are making music and participating in music. I mean, I know that I've seen this is anecdotal, but it is in the concerts I've been going to. And part of that's probably self-selection to going to see certain bands over others, but it just, the, the crowd has just gotten much, much more diverse. Yes. And that's, you know, for male to female ratio, you know, ethnicity, like everything. And um, it's good. It's great. And it's, it's something that I yeah. think is, is only, pushing you know the the music and the culture in a lot of different ways as metals want to do yeah i mean metal metal being like oh it's a genre for you know white dudes um uh that is going to that is going to change and it should um you know like you say like i mean when i go to shows like not only just the diversity of 
um, ethnicities, but, you know, the, the diversity of gender expression and um, even just, you know, there are there are so many people who are willing to go to a metal show and, you know, not dress in just a band T-shirt and black jeans. You know, they're <laughs> they're not trying to fit in with that. Um, and that's great. And it should change. I think it's just metal because of things that are baked into it um, is going to change more slowly than other genres. Yeah, I mean, we not to digress back into sort of like the masculine nature of metal, but I think about, you know, metal, especially traditional, for lack of a better term, traditional metal, but, you know, thrash metal bands and heavy metal bands that are, you know, been around for a long time, your Metallicas, your Iron Maidens, your Sepultoras, that kind of stuff. Like those bands are hugely popular in Latin America and, you know, they're hugely popular in the world, but like particularly hugely popular in Latin America and like Spain and Spanish countries. And I can't help but notice a correlation or connection that like Latin American countries in Spain, there's a big discussion about machismo culture, right? Yes. Like, and I, I can't help but notice this probably might be a connection there, right? Like when Iron Maiden selling out 40,000 person soccer stadiums, right? It, it just seems to me that there's like, I mean, soccer itself is kind of machismo, but, um, I don't know. Not positive. Well, it's, That's the connection, but it is historically, um, you know, it, it picked up a lot of because of its roots in the late 70s and into the 80s. Um, yeah, it has a lot of of machismo baked into it as a genre. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Again, um, you know, wanting to explore these more, you know, primal red meat urges. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. But then when I look at a lot of the bands that I've gone to see, like like Yob or Bell Witch, like there's nothing machismo about those bands. Yeah. You know, there's nothing. I mean, honestly, when I, you know, when I went to see Nick Cave and he was, you know, bringing women up from the audience to dance with him on stage, I'm like, that was more machismo than what I saw at the Yob show. Um, and that's, you know, that is not a criticism of Nick Cave. Like, he, this, that's a part of the show and it's a part of the, you know, everyone is a willing participant. No one's being exploited. But um, uh, anyway. Yeah, and there's a big, I mean, I'll, I'll link an article. It was interesting um, on the blog Metal Sucks, um, which tends to be a more, you know, I don't know how to describe it, like uh, more progressive leaning hmm. metal blog, sometimes in like the clickbaity kind of way. But anyway, they put a good article about um, this idea of there was a very common thing to sort of a label to attach the metal bands with female singers, you know, female fronted blank, right? Yes. Like, oh yeah, they're a female fronted power metal band. They're a female fronted thrash band. And basically the idea like, we should probably stop saying that. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, there is sort of a, there's a sort of genre that developed of, not that there's, not that there has always been female fronted metal bands. Look at, um, uh, what's her name? Craig, help me. Uh, she was like traditional. Tra- Lita Ford. Lita Ford is one. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one. Uh, I'll, it'll come to me in a second. But um, Doro. Doro. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, like, there's always been female front metal bands, and there's uh, it's always had a tradition there. But there was a sort of genre that emerged, which is like particularly like symphonic power metal bands. The you know Paragon being Nightwish, and then like a mm. lot of clones of that, or in that area, more in that power metal folk metal symphonic metal you know gothic kind of area yeah. space and that's where it sort of became you know female fronted metal is like almost like a, a synonym for that but that's right. not the case anymore and and we've 
we need to jettison all of that uh, because now there's, I mean, lots of bands have all kinds of female members and there's many bands that, and for a while that was the only place a woman had in a metal band was to maybe be the singer. Yeah. And she had to be hot and, right. you know, but um, now that's changed a great deal. You know, there's all kinds of metal musicians that are women and all kinds of metal bands that have women in them. And that's, that's good. And, um, but that just that that debate in that context and that sort of lingering term just shows the sort of masculine nature that metal had for a very long time. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm glad that it's becoming less of a boys club. So I want to circle back to something because I had a thought um, earlier. We were talking about um, what is it about heavy metal that like, oh, I have to see them play that guitar solo exactly right. I have to see them hit that high note exactly the way they do on the record or else I'm going to feel cheated. Um and I was thinking about something else because as, as we were preparing for this, I wrote like a page and a half about this idea of the emotions in heavy metal being kept at arm's length, where anytime, you know, lyrically, anytime you're talking about something emotional, like it's always hidden behind like two or three layers of metaphor, you know, like we're never going to actually talk about how we feel. We're going to talk about, you know, a battle between dragons and angels. And that is going to be a metaphor for loss, you know, or, um, we're going to talk about death, but in a very abstract way, that's really cloaked in a lot of talk about ghosts and spirits and the void, um, and all that. Or you look at bands, everybody's got a stage name and they all wear makeup in these absurd, you know, spiky costumes. Um, or you even have bands like Uato where like they won't show their faces in publicity photos. And I know that's a gimmick and it's cool and I love it. But um, and I thought, like, what is going on there and why, you know, why is there why do why do audiences demand that and why do artists want to engage in that? Why won't they make an honest emotional connection with each other? Um, and then I thought about it a little bit more and I said, when I put that together with um, this idea of metal is trying to connect you with something primal, it's trying to strip away layers of artifice and connect with something primal and real. Um, and I started to think about if I go to see a singer songwriter type um, and I think about that emotional connection that I have, it's a performance, right? You know, and I know I keep coming back to Nick Cave, but he's the last time I saw, you know, a band that wasn't a heavy metal band. Um, and, you know, when he's singing these, these, you know, these sad songs that he wrote in 1988, like I know that he's performing that emotion the same way that an actor in a play is performing an emotion. Sure, they're connecting with it on some level, but I'm not actually witnessing that action on stage. I'm witnessing actors perform it. And when I go to see Nick Cave or any other, you know, more pop or singer-songwriter thing, that emotion is a performance. It is artificial. However, when I go to see a heavy metal band and they perform that musical feat flawlessly. That is not artificial. They are genuinely doing that thing. And it's the same thing when you talk to like a wrestling fan where, yeah, they know that it's fake, but what they'll tell you is, but like the backflips they're doing aren't fake. The, you know, the, the choreography is not fake. I'm here to watch them do this. I'm here to watch them fake a fight. And I'm here to experience them faking the fight. And in many ways, that's more honest because 
they know what they're there to see. They're, they are there to see the physical feats. Um, they're there to see the stunts and they know it. And when I go to see BT Bam, I'm there to watch guitar stunts and you can't fake those guitar stunts. And if a band tried to fake it, we would all know we were being cheated and we would bail. Um, so they're not keeping it at arm's length. What they're doing actually is they're actually stripping away that like, oh, we're not going to fake emotions here for you. We're not we're not going to we're not going to pretend to be really sad at this moment of the song. Um, we might do a little bit of pretending to be angry, but, you know, it's a show. Um, but really, when you because you're here to see a performance, you're here to see us perform certain feats of virtuosity. This cannot be faked. This cannot be um, artificial. Yeah. And then. Ironically, that sort of wraps back around and can inspire a plethora of emotions and feelings because of that feat being accomplished. That was something that I remember. It's actually a conversation with you. Uh, I don't know where we were or someplace. And we were debating something because that's what we always did when we would meet up inevitably. And I was talking about, you know, you were in some stage of like being really aggressive about like no longer caring about virtuosity or something. And... (laughs) I just love how I go through all these phases of having very strong opinions about certain things. <laughs> I mean, I'm wrong. I look, I have, <laughs> I would like to think I am no longer in that phase of my life, but I know what you're talking about. Uh, and, and I thought, and you, you know, you always make good points and always make me think. And I thought I realized that because when I think about, I don't really know what's going on, right? Like you might know the impressiveness of what Ingwe Malmsteen or, probably not, but Paul from BT Bam is doing and why it's impressive and technically what he's doing and why it's so cool and why it's so hard. I don't really know. It just sounds like squiggly noodles to me, <laughs> but it sounds cool. And even the facade of virtuosity is enough to inspire an emotion of all an emotion of, you know, respect and these things that I wouldn't get if it was not performed correctly. Sure. Or, or at least authentically. Right. I mean, I think that, I mean, I, 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 you know, again, Paul from BT Bam, like the Selkie solo inspires a physical response in me every time I listen to it. Yes. Like I, I have at the minimum, the hair on my arms will stand up at the maximum. If I am very plugged in, I will be moved nearly to tears. Like, you know, my heart rate goes up when it gets to that point in the solo where the sweeps come in. And I wish I could, I wish I could put this in as a clip, but given that I kind of have to keep the 30 seconds, like you don't get enough of the buildup. Well, maybe I'll try, who knows? But, um, like, and yeah, maybe, maybe some of that is because I have a vague theoretical sense of what is actually going on between his fingers and the guitar. Um, because there was a time when I thought I could one day learn to play it. And then I realized that even if I could get to that point, maybe I didn't want to, because I want I want this thing to be special to me. Um, and I feel like if I, if as I'm hearing it, I'm also running it through in my head of how to do it, then maybe it won't be as special. But setting that aside, yeah, I mean, also, there's no way in hell I'd ever be able to play it. <laughs> Who the fuck am I fooling? Well, there's uh, like, you know, a little bit of a, you don't really want to know how the sausage is made, right? Like I had a friend, um, friend of ours who was obsessed with Between the Bear and Me. And he was the kind of guy who would pick a band and he'd only listen to that band for like years. <laughs> and... For a while, it was Jonah Bodum that was between the bear and me, and he would go to the shows. And he would stand, he, he would get there early, and he'd get his spot right at the front of the stage, and right in front of where Paul would be, and he'd stand there, and he'd just watch him the entire show. He wouldn't mosh, he wouldn't 
nod his head. He wouldn't tap his foot. He was watching his fingers. And he could point out every single – he's like, yeah, he missed a note here. He missed a note there. And I was just like, that sounds terrible to me. (laughs) Sounds like a real bummer of a night, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, like, I mean, he was – but he got a feeling of, you know, impressiveness. Even though he knows how hard it is. He was a guitar player, right? He tried to just emulate those things. But I always found that very interesting because that's, like, the opposite of how I would enjoy a metal show, right? Like, just not what I would care about at all. Uh, but, you know, to a degree, unless I started to notice that it was going off the rails, then it would be a problem. But it's sort of the extreme version of what we're what we're talking about. But as digression. But, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't like when you said, like, you know, arm's length, because I, it is in some ways it is. But it's I think I said that it's like sort of your you're putting maybe societal norms at arm's length, but then opening yourself up to more other I don't know other feelings. Maybe I don't know. Well, yeah, and I and when I say arm's length, I just feel like there is something about metal that does put up a little bit more of a wall, um, because there are, there are certain things that are kind of frowned upon in metal. Like improvisation is not a thing in heavy metal, right? No, I mean maybe the bands might do like a, but even like the quote unquote improv solo sessions between songs, they're usually the same thing every time. Like they like practiced it and whatever, right? right. And even if even if the vocalist decides that you know he might want to switch up the melody a little bit on this verse like a lot of people in the crowd would be like what the fuck you doing man yeah you know like it just like oh i'm gonna go low here instead of high people will be like mm, don't know about this um yeah because the first thing that runs through your head is oh he's he went low because he couldn't go high or or just there's i think there's just a um there's a desire among heavy metal within heavy metal that like no, just just do it like it says on the record, man. That's what we're here for. Like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, don't don't make this don't don't make this weird. Don't you know? Don't make this special. Um, I mean, I think that's you know, and again, the stage names and the theatricality, like it does in a lot of ways put a little bit more distance between the performer and the audience. You know, um, especially in ways where you know you'll you know um, you go to a punk show, you go to a hardcore show, or even metal genres that lean heavily into those. And, you know, you'll see the singer like you know handing the microphone to the crowd and you know jumping out into the crowd and like um, getting a little bit more directly involved. And you don't see that. You know, it is a little bit more um, standoffish. Isn't the right word, but it's less interactive. Yeah, improvisational than you're going to see in other genres. And I think it's partially because, like you said, metal is a very traditional genre, both, you know, maybe in some of its themes and and politics, but also musically. Even though it's doing the most extreme, crazy stuff out there, the structure it's built on is very classical. Like it is, and you don't, you don't go to see a symphony and expect improvisation. You expect to see the symphony play that you know, box suite perfectly. Yeah. And I think that's part of what it comes from is like you, it, it comes from that sort of classical structure where, and it's in something that some people are drawn to and some people aren't like, I don't love the improv nature, not improv nature, but like, you know, some of the changes I'd be, I'd be one of those people in the crowd being like, Oh man, just play it like the record dude. Like, yeah. Um, I don't mind a little bit of goofy antics, you know, like that people are want to do, but don't let it impact the rest of it. Right. Like if Devin Townsend wants to, throw something funny in there in the middle of his song that's fine but it should i hope it doesn't come at detriment of losing something else in the song uh and i think it's also like an expectation thing but uh yeah i think that's that's definitely the case with because that's where um the the virtuosity comes from the classical style and that connection you want to see it authentically performed yeah and i think that that's because there's a level of like 
that's the that is the that's the authenticity because you're doing a thing that cannot be faked. Right. Um, and 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 that gives you the authentic connection with the with the experience in the moment at the show is this is a thing that cannot be faked as opposed to in other genres where the authentic connection comes from oh this moment in this show only happened here at this performance tonight. Mm-hmm. This particular moment, you know, maybe if you're in a more improvisational genre, like the only time anyone heard that guitar solo was here tonight. If you were not in this room, you never you did not hear that guitar solo and you never will. Um, or the feeling of there was something magical about tonight where that particular solo was just some of the best soloing that that person ever did. And I was there for it. Um, and that's that authentic connection. Or, um, you know, when you're in a more intimate singer-songwriter thing and you um, you feel like there were elements of the performance where there really was a, uh, a connection between audience and, and performer. Um, and I think that what we're looking for when we go to see live music is there is some, oh, you had to be there moment, right? Yeah. I think in metal it is, I was there to see them do the thing. Um, and, and, do and particularly perfectly. them, right? Like, yes. That's the, the opposite of classical music. You know, you see there's all kinds of orchestras and symphonies that perform, you know, the songs written by past composers, right? That's not the same. Like, going to see a cover band is way different than seeing the actual band, even if they play it identically sonically. Yeah. Right? Like, part of that's just that people have different things or whatever. But, like, even if they as close as you can, it's still different because you want to see them those people do the thing yes you want to see that it's real you want to experience it as as something real right and i think that realness it connects back to some of the things that we're talking about that metal elicits as far as emotions that are maybe not pleasant in some ways but they're real right like the the real feeling of loss the real feeling of anger the real feeling of rage or horror or all these different things like glory um that realness, I think, is is enhanced by that live atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we talked a lot about live performance. I guess we've week one takeaway from that is that I guess the live nature of heavy metal is something that's very critical to the genre. Is that something we can safely say? I mean, I think that's starting to change. There's a lot of bands that don't tour and are purely studio lab bands, but I think so. But I think that um, I mean, I think that there is some unpacking to do of the headphones experience. Um in the arm's length nature of it, but um, I think we've mostly cracked the code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think about a band like I like um, Mahina. It's like a you know they're like a melodic death sort of symphonic. It's like it's basically just like if I don't know, like sci-fi metal is really just what it sounds mm-hmm. like. It's just like ship noises and aliens and intercoms and then just like really heavy melodic death metal. Um, and but it's not it's just purely studio stuff, and it's just like. I think probably 10 years ago, I would have probably been like, oh, they only they don't tour. I'm not really interested. Not because I'd ever even get the chance to see them, but just knowing that like, well, there's probably says like maybe they can't do it live. Like that's dumb. And it's part of maturity. It's part of the I think the genre is maturing in that direction. Also, because of the big intersection with electronic music that I think has been happening um, more recently. But and there's the general acceptance and popularity of electronic music. So I think that's something that for music as a broader whole has sort of opened people up and probably is partially what led into contributed to what you said about pop music being more okay with a less authentic performance, because for a while, you know, the sort of general opinion on electronic music was like, Oh, that's just 
guys fiddling around on the computers. Like that's not music, right? They're just making noises with, you know, with little things and they're not actually playing anything. There's no physicality to it. They're just programming it. I think people sort of jettison that as certain ways electronic music have become very popular. I think generally, yes. Um, I don't understand electronic music myself. Um, I just, for me, I, I, I generally can't connect with music unless I know that there is a human performance element of it. Um, and I don't know why, maybe that's a bias on my part, or maybe there is just something about listening to music that is solely performed by machines that I, I just can't connect with it emotionally. I don't know if it's real or not, but I mean, y'all listen to some like, like, you know, non-performed electronic music, like, like master boot record, but generally that's, you know, more like I'm listening to that for functional reasons. Like I, I just need something on in the background while I, <clears throat> you know, just get some work done or something. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I recently went to see Perturbator and another band, Ghost, different Ghost, G-O-S-T. Um, and I was really, I didn't know what it was going to be. And there been to like a non-metal show. I'm in an electronic show. It turned out to just be a metal show, essentially. Uh, but, and I knew that, you know, but the fact that he was doing something, right? Like he has some little keyboards, MIDI, MIDI keyboards and stuff that he's playing certain lines and certain thing. And he also had a live drummer, which was, which was good. Um that definitely would have been a very different experience than if he just stood up there and hit the play button. Yeah. Right. And maybe he gets the crowd up, whatever, but like it still would have been a very different, it would have felt less musical, I guess is in this sort of like traditional way. But yeah, I mean, again, not a value judgment. I'm not saying everyone should have the same reaction as me. I just, for me without a human element, I don't, I have nothing to connect to emotionally, but that's just me. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so what's our, what's our summary? Man, I don't know. You know, <laughs> we guess, really wrong the place, but so I guess metal is about exploring certain primal feelings, the red meat feelings. It excites that element of your, you know, kind of cortex, um, and thematically exploring taboo or embarrassing topics in kind of a safe space. Um, so some combination of those two things. And it creates a authentic connection in a live context between performer and audience. It creates that connection through the um, technical performance. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there is something about the, like, just the feeling you get in your chest at a metal show. You know, what it does to your heart versus what it does to your head. Um, and I feel like the, what it does to your heart bit of like giving you this primal animalistic excitement, um, and that being relatively independent from whatever the lyrical themes and imagery are doing for, for you in terms of the themes you want to look at. I feel like I don't want to undersell that, the feeling, the animalistic excitement, um, the, you know, primal spiritual thing that happens, um, I don't want to undersell that and, and just talk about like, oh, it's a safe way to explore murder fantasies. Like that's part <laughs> of it. That's where that's that's the lyrical and imagery part. But the 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 feeling you get from the music, um, I feel like is a really unique thing. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, I, I would like to transition a little bit here into um, briefly into, you know, if someone out there listening or, you know, just someone who is, you know, a metal metal person who doesn't have whose friends aren't or family aren't or, or and you're trying to make people understand um 
or or someone takes an interest, right? Let's say it was an episode and you're just like, you know what? This sounds kind of interesting, but I don't really know like where to start. What if I don't feel it? Where do I feel? Because these, these are what we feel, but it might be very different for other people. You know, we're generalizing here. I think that we captured a large portion of it. There's certain segments that I, I think go to metal shows and explore metal for different reasons, but also some bad reasons. I mean, there's there's guys who literally just go to metal shows to like to beat people up in the pit. It is a place for them to I mean, and I'm not talking about the fun sort of like pushy, shovey, like they literally they want to go there and like punch people in the face because they're so shitheads. They're shitheads because they're over masculinized shitheads. Uh I, I say that with no animosity over the fact that I've gotten punched in the face once or twice. Um, none at all. Uh, but hurting people on purpose is bad. Right. So <laughs> I feel like we, why do we have to say that? <laughs> yeah. Um, some people, you know, do that. But regardless, I would say that um, I want to talk a little about like, where would you tell someone to start if they were like looking to, to delve into this a little bit based on and you can maybe say like if they're coming from different directions, right? Like. Maybe not even necessarily, I mean, we can talk about specific bands or genres, but like sort of like from a certain, from a certain headspace or perspective, like what do you think has to change if you're a person who listens to, I don't know, like your favorite band is Bruce Springsteen and you typically like that kind of, you know, or just like listen to whatever's on the radio or what, you know, is there a certain way you have to sort of (laughs) tweak your brain or thinking? I would say that if you're the kind of person who just listens to what's on the radio, you don't really like music. It's fine. Like... It's not music isn't a thing that everybody likes. I mean, you don't like music in the same way that, you know, like I like music or, or you know, you, Andrew, like music. Um, because if you're just happy with what's ever on the radio, what, whatever's on the radio, then you're not really listening to things with any kind of depth. And that's fine. Like you like music in the same way that I like football. I'll watch the Super Bowl, but I'll leave after the first half if it's boring. And that's my <laughs> engagement. And that's fine. Not everybody has to be into everything. But... I mean, I think that you can follow the normal path into heavy metal that, you know, most people do of you start with hard rock and hard rock takes you to like one of the standard entry points like Metallica. And from there, you can kind of follow your nose. Um, And again, with with, you know, with the Internet being what it is, you know, you punch the words death metal into YouTube and within 15 minutes, you will know (laughs) like what What's going on there? Um, and I would say that, like, at some point you're going to hear heavy metal and it's going to tickle you just right. And you're going to kind of think like, oh, there might be something here. And generally, when you get away from the mainstream stuff, I guess all I can say is, like, it does take a little work to learn how to listen to it. If you were just used to listening to mainstream rock or radio metal, like, it's going to take some... You you kind of have to work at it to understand you know, death metal and black metal or, you know, doom can be kind of easy to get into because it just it's what you like, but slower. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a couple things that I think along those lines, I think that I use the analogy. It's a lot like developing a palate for for like beer or wine, because inevitably, you know, Greg, what was your reaction the first time you like cracked a Bud Light and tried some? I it's it's my reaction on oh, my my first sip of beer ever is still my reaction when I drink. <laughs> my first sip of beer even today i'm like ugh what is this <laughs> and then i have some more and i'm like okay i get it right but anyway yeah you know and as you sort of develop a taste for it then you realize that you know or when you when you first try and go from drinking light beer to an ipa or a stout right like or if you're into wine you go from a sweet wine to a dry wine and 
you have to sort of give yourself some time to adjust and sort of recalibrate or any kind. There's lots of kind of foods like this too, spicy foods, right? Like that palate sort of idea of like you need to uh, kind of work your way up and, and, and like, yeah, recalibrate your brain a little bit to um, figure out what you're listening for. I mean, I think about how different like when I listened to, you know, when I was first getting in, you know, maybe beginning of college and I was like, you know what? I've always heard this emperor band is really cool. <laughs> I'm going to put on like, you know, maybe like, and look, well, their best album. Okay. Like I'll put on like, you know, was their second to last album? Uh, second to last was equilibrium. Right. So I'm going to put on equilibrium. That, that album cover is fucking awesome. Like these are the, and it just, to me, it really just sounded like someone putting like metal through a garbage disposal recorded on a cassette player. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't even hear anything here, but I come back, two years later and I'm like, Oh, this is, this sounds completely normal to me now. It's a very weird feeling actually. When you think about like a band you checked out and then we're like, Oh no, no, thank you. And then later on you're like, Oh, I should give them a shot. And it just comes across so, so differently. Um, I also say that one thing that I think a lot of people do wrong is, and this is sort of the, the sort of thing you said, but like you got to listen to metal loud. <laughs> it has to be loud. Cause even for me, if I put on something in the car and I have it kind of quiet, it kind of just sounds like noise. Because you need to have, uh, there's probably some sort of science behind it. Ooh, but, yes, there is. Um, but I don't know what it is, but you need to have it loud to be able to hear the nuance and the melodies and the rhythms. Otherwise, it just kind of blends together. Practice gets fast oftentimes. But what one of the things you're talking about is what's called, what's known as the Fletcher Munson curve, which is the nature of the human ear to um, perceive frequencies differently based on the overall volume. So, um, when things are quiet, we hear high frequencies more. You have to turn things up to hear bass, essentially. So actually, if you ever listen to a song that fades out, one of the last things you'll hear is the cymbals. Um, and that's the Fletcher Munson curve operating. Mm. Um, it's because you're at, at low, you know. Um, so yes, so it's like the phrase that Sun puts on all their albums, maximum volume yields maximum results. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Um, and I've also always said that I'm, I still believe this. I think there's a metal band, if not a metal genre, for nearly everyone out there. <laughs> like you said, if you're someone who just like really doesn't care about music at all in any sort of like proactive way, then like maybe not. But even still, people who feel that way probably like the occasional Metallica song or whatever, right? Um, and could maybe understand different different things. Like there's a lot of like pop oriented metal that some of it I'm a little embarrassed to uh, say that I kind of like. Um, there's a band called Amaranth that is just really, really bad. I mean, just, just abysmal, but it's like so catchy and ridiculous, but also still metal that it's kind of hard not to like tap your foot and get, get it stuck in your head. And, uh, I'm sure it's designed that way, but it's actually a weird super group of like all these really talented individuals. They just put out this just like super produced, super poppy, like by the numbers music. And it's just, it's weird, but, uh, or not, maybe if you don't enjoy it, you might think it's cool or respect it, right? Like, how many times have you heard someone say, Greg, oh, I like the music, but I don't like the vocals when you when you put something on in the car or something? I hear that all the time. And I'm kind of like, well, there's probably a whole bunch of these bands that don't have vocals if you want to go check them out first. Uh, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm past the point where I'm trying to, like, convert people. You're not proselytizing anymore? No. I mean, I, I, I feel like... At this stage, like, you know, like, eh, you know, people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't, I don't need, you know, it doesn't make a difference to me whether or not people like it. Um, yeah, I definitely think that started off. I was a big proselytizer in 
you know, college particularly. And I succeeded for a lot of people. Uh, take great pride in that. Um, but for me, in realizing that experience made it for a while, there was a little bit of a feeling of superiority, right? A little bit of a feeling of justification, validation that what I like isn't just for weirdos or for dummies. Um, if I can convince someone else to like it, then clearly it must be worth something. Uh, but I think later on it became that experience that developed into me a sense of like nothing else elicits these feelings in me besides this. And I feel like, you know, some like people should also be able to experience those things, right? Like should have a shot at it. Give it a fair shot, I guess is what I'm saying to, to be able to experience something different. That sounds a little condescending. I don't mean it to. And it's coming from like the most genuine place. You just want to share. Exactly. I want to share in the feelings that I feel, man. And that's very noble of you. I mean, (laughs) for me, it's like, you know, eh, people know heavy metal. It's a known thing. Hey, you want to enjoy it? I, eh, who am I? Um, I think that, I mean, I think if, you know, if, if you hear heavy metal, even if it's, you know, um, you know, on the radio and and you feel that excitement and you like that excitement, that same excitement, you feel like, like when you're riding your bike down a hill really fast, you know, like, yeah that kind of thing if you start to feel that when you listen to heavy metal that means you're going to enjoy heavy metal so stick it out and 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 see where it leads you if when you listen to heavy metal you don't get that feeling if you're just confused um walk away there's other (laughs) things you don't have to like it no they have to Greg. um (laughs) no and also it's like there's a really fun i think heavy metal has a particularly fun experience of sort of the the very iterative historical genealogical nature of it makes for a very fun exploratory journey right like so you find a band you like and you say "Ooh, i like this but what if it was just a little heavier (laughs) or "Ooh, i like this but what if it had pan flutes in it (laughs) or "Ooh, i like this but what if it just didn't have any vocals right like and you will inevitably be able to find that specific band, especially now with things like Spotify and, and YouTube yeah. and things to be able to aid you in the journey. Uh, that, that I think is particularly fun thing. And then the putting the pieces together and being like, Oh, I get it. This band is a band that takes this band and that band and smushes them together. That's a very fun, you know, the sort of taxonomical way of looking at it, which I really enjoy in a lot of things, but particularly, uh, in, Kind of like a beer, right? Like when you or with any kind of food, right? You like take it and you say, oh, this is like, you know, IPAs are hoppy. That's what they are. But what if you add some hops to a stout? What do you get then? Oh, I don't know. And like you get these new things, new flavors you haven't experienced before. And I find that very fun. You and your beer analogies. I don't know. It just seems to make sense to me. But I guess it's two things I know a lot about. But <laughs> <laughs> but you can do the same thing for media, right? You're like, oh, I like this movie or the style of movie. Is there something out there that is like this but has a horror element or, you know? is a little more character-driven or not character-driven or it's all the same thing. Yeah, it's a little harder to do in that area, I think, because it's not quite as well-defined. But, but yeah, so did you have anything else you want to talk about metal, Greg? Anything, any questions? I mean, I always want to talk about heavy metal, but... um, Let's end on something fun. You guys end on something fun? Wait, are you asking me if I have something fun to end on? No, I have some, just a couple little fun things to to lighten the mood a little bit, because we got pretty heavy there and pretty meandering for a little bit sure 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 what's your fun thing all right so uh greg what's your favorite metal band oh come the fuck <laughs> on man just pick a couple jeez that really <sighs> are defining to you and your style your approach your outlook <sighs> you know what I'm right. saying? It's, it's not it's not hand on you know 
the All satanic right, bible sure. or anything okay yeah all right well um bell witch um put me down put me down as a bell witch stan whatever that means um <laughs> trying to think of like those bands that like like when i listen to them like i feel something special happening bell witch is one of those bands neurosis is one of those bands Emperor is one of those bands. Um, Protest the Hero. Probably more so than BT Bam, although they might be interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I feel like BT Bam has cooler moments, but Protest has cooler songs, if that makes sense. (sighs) Boy, you are putting me on the spot. (laughs) Putting me on the spot. Um, Sometimes the visceral reaction is what really, your your gut is what, sometimes you think too much, then you, you talk yourself in or out of things that... This yeah. has a, this has a little bit of a recency effect too, right? You got to kind of oh, think yeah. about no, the, the I, I, and I have to talk about things in terms of like you know, like what are bands that mean stuff to me today, as opposed to oh well, you know, Opeth was a big deal to me at one point. I don't know if I'd put them in my top anymore. Um, I mean, I'm, I guess I, I guess I, I shouldn't not say Deaf Heaven just because I feel like they're a little bit you know, oh everybody, you know, they're kind of like super hipster cool right now mm-hmm. but like I, I think deaf heaven has to be on that list um oh boy i mean is that is that an all right start you say yeah, some of yours and I'll, I'll see if i can can remember anymore um i mean for me i like bands that sort of like you know really epitomize certain things like or combine a lot of things in a way that i really enjoy so um and also just i also sort of it's sort of a consistency sort of thing just like every time this band puts out an album or has put out an album I've always liked it, right? Like, never not enjoyed it. Never thought they were doing something good. Um, so, Kalma is a band that I really, really latched onto a long time ago and has consistently put out stuff that I still makes me feel something. They're a Finnish melodic death metal band, more or less. Um, you know, this one, Greg. Uh, this one's a little bit complicated, but uh, Rhapsody of Fire. God, fuck you. <laughs> And it's so weird because I, I always think like, you know what? I'm going to go back and listen to like one of their older albums and probably just think it's just like kind of cheesy. And I was like, nope, this is amazing. Every time. Front to back. Uh, now that's gotten complicated because that band has 16 iterations now and a varying quality. But those first, you know, that like for a long time, most of their albums are very, very good. And and just like a, a compelling listen for me. Um between the Barry and me I, is undoubtedly, I mean, I've seen them probably in the double digits of times and I like every single one of their albums a great deal. Always a good go-to, good fallback. Uh, Symphony X always was something that I connected with. You know, I'm tempted to say Dream Theater, but ah, Dream Theater's they're so over the place quality wise sometimes that like when Dream Theater is really good, they're really good. But when they're bad, they're really bad. <laughs> um, or it's not even bad, just like dull. Just like I'm, I'm bored, but um but Symphony X is always, even their newer stuff, which is generally a little more, you know, by the numbers is still, I still really enjoy it and enjoy their, their stage presence and stuff. Although they're one of those bands that needs to get on the, uh, listen to this episode and realize that it's okay to like put some of your stuff through computers. Cause I've seen them like probably six times and every time it's always mixed poorly. And I'm like, come on guys, hmm. get your shit together. You have a keyboard player. I should be able to hear the keyboards and the samples and stuff as part of your music. Right. Sometimes when you have a uh, egocentric guitar player, they take over, right, Greg? Uh, I, I certainly didn't. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Um, that's probably mine, mine to start. Uh, yeah, I guess I can. I oh, can, De- Devin Townsend. I mean, anything yeah. Devin Townsend related is just the, the thing. I love it all. Literally so that's, everything. That's one of the things that I, I was like, as I was kind of 
quickly like scanning through my library of like, how the fuck did I not mention Devin Townsend? And I'm saying Devin Townsend in a broad sense. I'm sure you are too. Like I'm just counting Devin Townsend, Devin Townsend band, Devin Townsend project, strapped young lad, basically all of his shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's all very, very good. Um, I'm pretty sure that, um, the re-recorded version of Kingdom on Epic Loud might be objectively the greatest heavy metal vocal performance in history. Like, I'm pretty sure that we can all say that is the bar now. Um, but yeah, no, Devin Townsend has to be on the list. Um, that particular song has special meaning because, A, we it was we played it at my wedding. Yes, we walked you did. into it. It was a um, good choice. Which is a good choice. But I remember when Epic Cloud first came out, I'd already loved that song from, you know, his previous, when it was on Infinity, I think? Uh, physicist. Physicist. Um, and I, when Epic Cloud came out, I was playing it uh, in my room. I was living with my good friend and his, his now wife. And I think I probably played it 10 times in a row. And it's got a very repetitive, you know, kind of riff to it. And she just comes up to my door and she's like, are you going to ever stop listening to that song? I'm like, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I honestly can't say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I've seen him so many times and he is, a he goes he's a person of one of the female people I think who is not afraid to get emotional in the way that some of our discussion about pop music, yeah, you know, a little more heartfelt in that way than very non-metal sometimes. Yeah. Um, both sonically and, and content wise, but um, they don't make an album about like, you know, little ball sack aliens and it's a whole whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he, he likes to make some weird moves for you. So a couple others from my list, um, burst, a band that no longer exists. Burst was incredible, and it is a loss that they broke up just as they were hitting their stride. Um, Every Time I Die, I don't know how I didn't mention Every Time I Die. Um, They're, you know, the best um, of that kind of world of, like, kind of metalcore stuff. Um, Panopticon, um, it's really one guy. Um, It's an American black metal thing that incorporates a lot of Americana folk. Um, and also he's like a, like, you know, like, um, super, uh, climate and nature driven leftist, which, you know, is kind of cool in, uh, the black metal world. Um, and I mean, I can't not mention sun, right? Yeah. I mean, why not? (laughs) I'm pretty sure like I have the most sun shirts of any, uh, (laughs) of any metal band shirts right now. So I think the only one I have to add that I sort of forgot that I is sort of like just like a constant at the back of my mind is always there and I always enjoy listening to is the band Moon Sorrow. Uh, they are, you know, I mean, broadly folk metal, but a lot more influenced by black metal and atmospheric black metal and but also can get kind of cheesy sometimes. But one of those bands that has all different sounds, but I remember seeing them and this is one of the few experiences I've ever had where this happens where... Because I think metal is one of the genres when you go see them, see a band live, like you kind of want to know their stuff before you go see them. Mm-hmm. Especially with some of the heavier stuff, it can get a little bit hard to distinguish what's going on unless you're listening for it. Especially depending on how well the mix is in the venue and these the acoustics and all these kind of things. Uh, but that was a band that I went and saw that I had not listened to at all. They headlined Pagan Fest in like 2007 or something, and I was blown away. The wall of sound, the just like the sort of feeling, just washing over you. That was very special, and then I immediately fell in love. Uh, but along those lines, Greg, one more question. All right. What's been your favorite like live performance? 
In metal? Yeah, in metal. Hmm. Or your favorite concert, whatever you want to call it, you know. You can either say your favorite person to see live or a particular favorite concert. I mean, Baroness, first Unitarian in Philly, when they were touring on Blue Record, that was a pretty special show for me. Um, but I would say Bellwitch and Yob at um, at the Metro just this year, um, or maybe it was the end of last year, who gives a shit? Um, that was pretty special and, and kind of transformative as well. Um, and that's kind of the nature of those bands. Yob, um, Mike Scheidt, the, the, the front man, he has a certain way of bringing you into the music and creating a shared borderline spiritual experience. Um, so that was pretty magical. And Bellwitch's performance, um, they have a similar ability. It's a little bit of a different vibe. Um, uh, but yeah, let's, let's, let's give it that for now. <laughs> this is hard for me because I, I mean, when I was in the radio station, I was probably going to shows, I mean, twice a month. I was going so, that was just like commercial shows, let alone like, you know, basement shows, or whatever. But like, I was just seeing, I saw so much music. Mm-hmm. It's hard to remember, but you know, I continue to be a pretty avid concert goer. I definitely slowed down because like standing for three hours is just like, it's hard, man. <laughs> or old. Um, I think that, I mean, it's hard to pick an individual time, but like, you know, both Devin Townsend between the Barry and me, I've seen so many times and they always just elicit such strong motions in me. I know the music so well. They always put on a pristine performance. It's hard to, to top that. There's some, I mean, seeing Symphony X encore with the Odyssey was by, like by surprise was a pretty, which is a 24 minute long um, <laughs> song, you know, like the Odyssey, like the epic poem uh mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing i didn't think i'd ever see that kind of thing um also seeing immortal was like more of just like a, a point of interest i mean I, I really enjoyed it like it was an awesome show but there was a moment in that that just sort of just like it's like oh yeah i forgot this is a black metal show where someone must have threw a beer bottle at abbath oh and like i don't think it hit him but like it went up on stage and like was very noticeable that someone chucked a beer bottle at the band and they just like all stopped like immediately, like on almost like in an uncanny way. I just like not like one one instrument is still going. They just stopped <laughs> and the lights came on. And Abbott is a very big guy there in their corpse paint the whole nine yards, you know. And he just says, who fucking threw that? And just like stayed out in the crowd and turn all the lights on and just like fucking stand there like who fucking threw that? And he's like looking around. He's like, come on, tell me. And like just stayed out in the crowd and, you know, the whole band just like being kind of goofy, but in like a kind of scary way at the time. And he's like, that's what I fucking thought. And then they didn't even like tap back in. They just picked up right where they left off immediately. And I was just like, what the fuck just happened? Uh. <laughs> so that was a fun experience, individual experience. But uh, yeah, so uh, and also um, I just got think I went to the, the Prague Power Festival down in Atlanta, which I think the next year, either next year, the year after is going to be the last one. I've been doing it for like over 20 years. They pull bands from mostly around you know mostly international bands their first time in the states uh it's always a really really good mix of bands and you know it's two days probably 12 14 hours each day but in a really cool setting you know you like you can just sit the whole time because it's a prog show you don't i mean you don't even allow moshing it's a whole different experience Hmm. um you can go stand on the floor but i saw so many just like really expanded my horizons when it came to that stuff and saw bands i'll never saw before probably never see again but yeah uh you have anything, Greg? Any any questions? Any lingering? No, I think doubts, got, concerns. I think we've got this one pretty well surrounded. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. We did it. 
Well, I think we did. So now I just have to edit all this together and um, and post it, and hopefully it won't take three months. I don't think so. I don't think we have as many clips this time. We'll see. Plus, you're probably a master of clips from last time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally remembered everything I did. <laughs> uh, well, this has been a fun journey. It certainly has. All right, well, uh, I guess, you know, enjoy the holiday. Enjoy America's birthday. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, we'll talk on the other side. See you. Later.